I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to the snack episode. Today, we are going to present a Did You Know episode. Because I bet you didn't. And JJ's going to get started off. (laughs) Okay. Did you know there's a new theory about how grapes and raisins create toxicity in dogs? Hmm. Tell me more. (laughs) In dogs, we can see nephrotoxicosis, which means kidney damage after eating grapes or raisins. So the toxicity does not develop in every dog who eats grapes or raisins, but sometimes a small amount can cause the toxicity. We don't know exactly why the toxicity occurs, but there has been a new proposal for the toxic mechanism. So the following theory was published in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association in the Letters to Editors section. The ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center received several reports of dogs exposed to potassium bitartrate, a.k.a. cream of tartar. Dogs ingesting the cream of tartar experienced acute vomiting and severe azotemia. Azotemia is elevation in creatinine and BUN, a.k.a. the kidney values. One of the patients did not survive and the necropsy showed histopathologic changes in the kidney that were similar to those described with grape and raisin toxicosis in dogs, including cortical tubular degeneration, necrosis, mineralization, and some evidence of regeneration. What is potassium bitartrate? I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) (laughs) So potassium bitartrate is the salt of tartaric acid. So both potassium bitartrate and tartaric acid are found in high concentrations in grapes. The more you know. (laughs) The amount varies with the type, um, growing conditions, and ripening. Some studies have previously demonstrated that dogs have high absorption and rapid high renal elimination of tartaric acid and its sodium salt, potassium sodium tartrate, which means it's processed by the kidneys. So a follow-up article by AHA revealed that it was ingestion of homemade Play-Doh containing cream of Carter. Cream of Carter. Jesus. <laughs> Ooh, I don't want to have any of that. Who the fuck is Carter? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> homemade Play-Doh containing cream of tartar, which led to severe azotemia. And that caused the ASPCA to make the connection. This is a theory still and more research is needed. This information was submitted in the letter to JAVMA by Colette Wingenast and Arena Meadows of the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center in Urbana, Illinois, Rochelle Anderson of South Shore Veterinary Hospital in Cicero, New York, and Teresa Southard of College Veterinary Medicine at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. That's awesome. I'm so excited that we might know what's creating that. That's like, I mean, that's really cool. Yeah, because I have given uh, in the past without knowing any better. I gave one of my dogs grapes quite often, and (laughs) he never had any signs of any issues. However, he did get into a whole garbage bag of a lot of onions and had issues with that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, the onions and the grapes, you know, have a different toxic Mm -hmm. mechanism for JJ knows that, but for, for everybody listening. But, yeah, it's so interesting to think that, like, Foods that that we as people eat all the time and don't have any problem with could be so damaging to pets. That's so interesting. So I'm really excited about this development and 
what I really love about this story is the fact that the Animal Poison Control Center and multiple veterinarians involved in dealing with this case kind of worked together to formulate a theory about what was going on and then alerted the veterinary community at large, hey, we think this might be what's going on. And even if it ends up being some other thing, just that collaborative process is so important to veterinary medicine. It's just really, like, it makes me very tingly and excited to think about that happening in our profession. I really enjoy that. It's kind of like police departments working together to solve crimes in various communities. Yes, that is exactly the same thing. <laughs> Sorry. No. no, it's fine. True crime vessels just like, hello. <laughs> Have you been watching any true crime documentaries like Never. right before we I'm, recorded or anything? Just, you know, something that was on the ID channel that we had recorded. <laughs> okay. Well, JJ, mm-hmm. did you know that scrubbing in for surgery with a brush is not recommended and that alcohol-based hand rubs are preferred. Oh, I didn't, but please tell me more because this is kind of interesting. Yeah. So alcohol-based rubs are like Avagard, okay? And there are a couple of other brands out there, but I think Avagard is probably the one that people are most familiar with. Mm -hmm. When they've been studied, they have similar efficacy to that traditional scrub-in process. And they're easier on the hands. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little faster, too. Yeah. Oh, girl, much faster. <laughs> so I wanted to present some information about why that is and that we have like actual studies to back this up. So sometimes I feel like in this particular topic, there's some pervasive thoughts, maybe that the old fashioned scrubbing in is somehow better than using the, the alcohol based um, gels. Maybe even because people perceive it as like, well, using a product like Avagard is so simple and easy and inexpensive that it almost seems like cheating in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's almost like, well, how could how could this easier process yield the same results, you know? So I wanted to tell you guys how we know. There's a couple of studies that everybody should take a look at. One is comparison of alcohol-based hand rub and water-based chlorhexidine gluconate scrub technique for hand antisepsis prior to elective surgery in horses. And that was published in February 2016 in the Canadian Veterinary Journal. Another is Avagard hand antisepsis versus traditional scrub in 3600 pediatric urologic procedures. And that was published in July 2010 in the journal Urology. The World Health Organization also appears to recommend alcohol-based rubs exclusively. So Mm -hmm. like at least one study that I read states that the World Health Organization considers (laughs) considers that the World Health Organization considers scrubbing in as contraindicated, like the traditional scrubbing processes, like not just like you can do this instead and it's okay, but like it's better to use the alcohol-based drugs. So why might we have this idea that scrubbing is that that traditional scrubbing is better and what are some of the issues with traditional scrubbing? So the first is that a documented scrubbing time for traditional scrub is a little bit up for debate. So traditionally people have said, well, we need to to scrub in for 10 full minutes. That's Mm -hmm. obviously like a lot of trauma on your hands and arms from all that scrubbing. Mm -hmm. 
So there's some studies that show that comparing scrubbing times from the traditional 10 minutes and shorter times, they found that the shorter times actually had the same level of efficacy as the 10-minute scrubs. So if you are still doing a traditional scrub, you actually don't have to scrub for 10 full minutes. So several studies have, have shown that scrubbing for just five minutes reduces bacterial counts as well as a 10-minute scrub did. And then even further studies showed that scrubbing for just two or three minutes reduced the bacterial counts um, to, to similar levels. So the one thing about scrubbing in is that you don't have to do it for full 10 minutes. One of the reasons that the World Health Organization is saying maybe let's not do a traditional scrub at all, let's just use the alcohol-based sanitation, is that more scrubbing creates more bacterial and skin cell shedding. Mm. This especially occurs when we're scrubbing with like the bristle brush, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the protocols that have been established in the past required a person to scrub with like a firm brush. But this damages the skin, and studies have shown that it does increase, actually, bacterial shedding from the hands, which is, like, not what we want to be doing before we do (laughs) surgery. Nope. So scrubbing with a disposable sponge, that's going to be like, you know, the little packets that you see. It's like like a foil packet, and inside of it is, like, a nail pick, and then, like, one side is a scrubby brush part, and the other is a sponge. Mm -hmm. So using those does work just as well as a traditional brush, okay? But further studies beyond that have actually shown that neither a brush or a sponge is necessary to reduce the bacterial counts on hands, especially if you're using an alcohol-based sanitizer. So, like, when products like Avigard came out, people were saying, like, well, you know, there was some resistance. So it's like, what if we did a full traditional scrub-in for the first surgery and then used Avigard after, and then used Avigard between, you know, surgeries as we're like, so we're unscrubbing, we're taking our gloves and gown off and getting ready to go into the next thing and get suited up. Let's use Avigard between them. Mm-hmm. But but even scrubbing in for the first time of the day with a traditional scrub is, is not considered necessary. If you are going to use a traditional scrubbing technique, it's important to understand that the brush part, so like, Again, that hard bristle brush, or if you're using the combination product that's got the, the scrubby surface on one side and the sponge on the other, that hard scrubby surface is not for your arms and hands. It's for your nails. Mm. So you only use the brush on the nails. Then you flip to a soft sponge for the rest. If not, that like that's why your hands and arms get so jacked up when you're scrubbing into a lot of surgeries is because people have been using the implements incorrectly. So several studies performed cultures immediately or at 45 to 60 minutes after scrubbing. And in some studies, cultures were obtained three and six hours post-scrub, okay? So in all of those, we see that the alcohol-based rubs are as effective, at least as effective, as traditional scrubbing in. Interesting. Well, that's kind of good news. I mean, you don't have to spend near as much time and your arms and your hands don't have to take quite the beating. Absolutely. So then there was one study that showed that brushless, so so like no brush at all, brushless application of a preparation containing 1% chlorhexidine gluconate plus 61% ethanol, okay, so like an alcohol-based hand rub, Mm -hmm. yielded 
lower bacterial counts on the hands of participants than did traditional scrubbing in. Hmm. So there's evidence that, that this is better. And I got this information from the CDC Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report from October 25th, 2002. So this is kind of old information. Yeah. Titled Guideline for Hand Hygiene in Healthcare Settings. And I will, of course, post the links to all of these studies and uh, resources in the show notes and on social media for anybody who is interested. So we've talked about how veterinarians, for some reason, are sort of slow to embrace these sorts of changes. <laughs> there was actually a study published that showed that that veterinarians are like slow to adopt these things. <laughs> so, so there was a study called Pre-Surgical Hand Asepsis, Concepts and Current Habits of Veterinary Surgeons, published in July 2011, and that was in the um the journal veterinary surgery the <laughs> unfortunate conclusion for this study is that and the, i'm going to quote directly from the study since this is generally available so the conclusion is quote contrary to current recommendations of the world health organization and scientific evidence supporting use of hydroalcoholic rubs for pre-surgical hand preparation Veterinary surgical specialists still use surgical scrub solutions containing disinfecting soaps. Friani face. But so. that was like 2011. So like that's 10 years ago. Hopefully, you know, most of the people that I just talked to in my casual poll had gone ahead and adopted this. But I still know lots of general practitioners that still kind of view the mm. brushless um, methods as like less than or easier and therefore can't be better or something like that. So anyway, so they're basically like veterinarian professionals or like flat earthers. They don't believe in updated science. So they're still saying the the world is the earth is flat. Oh, you said flat earthers. Yeah. I thought you said flatterers like and <laughs> I was like, I haven't found that to be the case at all. I don't think they're no. very they're, they don't like I don't think that they flatter other people very often. No, <laughs> never mind. No, no. No, gotcha. That th that joke failed on eight different levels. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, huh, where did that come in? I'm not sure. I could tell okay. by the deafening silence. I'm like, yeah, that was funnier <laughs> in my head. Oh, my God. Okay. If you are interested in adopting a brushless alcohol-based rub as your surgical scrub-in, there's a couple of things to remember. So before application, hands need to be sociably clean. If your hands are gross, you need to wash your hands and dry them thoroughly before you use the product, okay? Essentially, a good guideline is if you would wash your hands before you would eat something, then you need to wash your hands before AvaGuard application, right? So pretty much every time if you work in the vet field. <laughs> Especially if you've, like, been seeing a crap ton of patients and everything. You know, like, it just... Use your professional judgment there. Like, would you be weird about shaking someone's hand if they were the way your hands are right now? If that's the case, wash <laughs> them, right? <laughs> if you wouldn't eat with your current hand cleanliness status, wash them and dry them thoroughly. The drying thoroughly part is important, okay? Then you go to apply the alcohol-based rub, okay? Other tips, your fingernails need to be kept short. I mean, really, that's if you're doing any type of surgery. You just have to keep short nails. Sorry, that's the trade-off. 
You should always, always use a nail pick prior to surgery. That's the little, uh, you know, they, they come in those prepackaged surgical packs or you can even buy like a metal one up at Walmart, okay? But keeping uh, your nails picked out and the goo that accumulates under your nails gone is super important for no matter what type of surgery you're doing. But you definitely want to do that before you scrub in, okay? And I'm going to go through the AvaGuard application process because there's published information about that. Always follow the directions of whatever product you're currently using, but AvaGuard seems to be kind of the the most uh, common one that's used, at least in veterinary medicine. AvaGuard application requires use of at least three pumps. It's not like a one pump and go situation, and there's a specific way that you use it. So if you're going to use it and you want to make sure that it works as well as it's supposed to, you have to follow the directions. (laughs) Uh, And occasionally I see people not doing that. So I'm going to go ahead and just go through how you put it on accurately so that people have that information. So you approach the container. You step on the foot pump, okay? (laughs) And you're going to need to use at least three pumps, but not all at one time. So you're going to dispense one pump into your palm. Then you're going to use your palm to apply that pump of gel straight onto the fingernails of the opposite hand. Okay. Once you get it good and under the fingernails, then you're going to go around all of your fingers, down the hand, and down the arm to the elbow. Then you're going to repeat that process on the other side. Okay. So pump two. Pump two is dispensed into the hand you just applied everything to palm to the opposite nails again work it into the nails down the fingers over the wrists all the way up to the elbow if you have like really big arms so like you're a super beefcake you know a guy or um like if you have really long arms or just really muscular you might have to use more than one pump to finish that step so there are like anecdotal reports of people needing to use five pumps instead of three total because it's like one two pumps to do the full up to the elbow one two pumps to do the full up to the elbow just because they got like more surface area than average that's fine if that's you the last pump though is just going to go on to the hands okay so after we've done one arm completely second arm completely the third pump then we're going to wipe it all over every portion of both hands just up to the wrists okay Then we stand back and wait for this to air dry. Do not use a towel. If you use a towel, you're taking away the efficacy. So it must air dry. And then you go about suiting up uh, just like normal. We will post links on our social media to uh, resources about how to do this. In fact, uh, I think when you order AvaGuard, they even give you like a little tiny poster to put up next to the thing to the dispenser, I recommend everyone just post that little thing that they send you just in case, like if there's ever any question, like this is how you do it. Okay. And then there are videos online too about how to apply it. And I know this seems like, I know how to apply a damn hand rub, like leave me alone. But you know, (laughs) it's really important to get the correct level of efficacy. You have to do it in the way that it was studied. So Mm -hmm. this is importante. If you haven't incorporated this into your practice yet, I strongly urge you to look at the studies and see if it would be a good fit. If you want to stick with traditional scrubs, uh, go ahead, though, and reduce your scrub time based on those studies that show that 10 minutes isn't necessary. Make sure you're not using a hard brush because that can make things worse. 
brush only on the nails, sponge for the rest of the arm. Oh, and also don't use giant vats of scrub. It's impossible to keep those clean and sterile. There were studies I read about that too. Like if you're going to go for traditional scrub, you really need to use a prepackaged thing like the foil pack that's got the nail pick and the thing, the double-sided thing. If you're taking, even if it's been autoclaved, a brush and like dipping it into a vat of chlorhexidine, like that, you know, that's, you're not going to, it's impossible to keep that vat clean. Okay. (laughs) Good to know. That is everything I have on that topic. (laughs) (laughs) So. I have another did you know. Okay. Did you know that there is a free pet diabetes app? I did know. I did know. (laughs) I'm so glad that we're talking about this. So it's called the Royal Veterinary College Pet Diabetes app. Um, With the app, the owners can track weight loss, thirst and urination, appetite, activity level and attitude, urine, glucose and ketone data, hypoglycemia and DKA events, meals, insulin, blood glucose, and quality of life assessment. All that information can be sent to your veterinarian via the app, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. The app will even generate medication reminders for the owner. After I read about this app, I actually just downloaded it. I don't have a diabetic pet currently, but I was like, (laughs) shit, I need this app. And it is, it's great. Like um, you can go in there, create a pet profile. In fact, I created a fake one and now it reminds me every day to give insulin. And I got to like go back and delete that because I'm like, I don't, I, it was a fake pet. I'm sorry. You have to give insulin to your imaginary animal. (laughs) Right. But this thing is amazing and it's free. Whether or not you're having the blood sugar curves done in house or at home or where it's some other monitoring method, like this is important because Mm -hmm. if we think about how we manage diabetes, We want to control the symptoms, number one, not have low blood sugar events, number two. And really, that's it. You know, like, (laughs) like we want to be the have the symptoms well controlled without going too low. Like, that's the plan. And knowing how the pet is doing at home is like vitally important to that process. And I feel like so many times when I'm like, how's the pet been doing? The owner's like, eh, and they can't really answer questions about it. Mm -hmm. So, like, they need to download this app and track it. Um, So that then they remember, oh, yeah, actually, the pet has been vomiting every day. Or like, uh, no, the man, a couple days ago, we had crazy urination, actually. Or if they're doing blood sugar curves at home, there's a place to record that information. And then it's just like, boop, 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 boom, send straight to the veterinarian. Holy crap. Like, that is so amazing, (laughs) you know. So does it send it like through an email? I think so. I admit that I haven't gone to the point of also setting up a fake email account, you know, in the whole thing or whatever. <laughs> but also, I don't know how it works if, like, I'm tracking my own pet and now I'm sending it. So I will, I will play around with the send feature and figure that out. But I think it's via email. Mm-hmm. You know, if we could um, get people to do this, it would be really important. And mm-hmm. I think it's a great way to get the owner really involved and invested in the diabetes management process because. I mean, it's on the owner. I hate to say that, but like, you know, what I do to manage my diabetics is like very small compared to what the owner invests at home. And so giving them this sort of tool, I think, is really helpful. Just any way we can assist them because they, you know, it it's hard to have a diabetic animal hmm. and they have to do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this would be a good thing to include for all your new newly diagnosed diabetic patients absolutely just said go ahead uh, here's an app that comes with that 
Yeah, there's an app for that. There's an app for everything. Mm-hmm. And this is great. I mean, it, it's um, the Rural Veterinary College puts it out. It's super reputable. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm so excited about that. The last thing that I have is not so much clinical. <laughs> it's a fun thing. <laughs> so my last did you know is, did you know about the cage liner, which is an online veterinary satirical newspaper? I love the name. <laughs> It's kind of like the onion for veterinarians. <laughs> and I I follow these guys on social media and, and that kind of thing. And it is so funny. <laughs> the stuff that they post is so funny. And it's a really great way to relieve stress. And so I did just jot down a few headlines that they've had recently just to share with you guys, like the type of thing we're talking about here. <laughs> so one was, <laughs> one was. ER veterinarian wins in clinic competition for highest urine-specific gravity. Oh, Lord. That is so not (laughs) something to be proud of. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's sad that that's a competition, but I can totally understand. It's a fake fake competition. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's almost kind of like I got the bragging rights, but but is that really good? Yeah, no, it's super bad. Like, we don't need to be doing that. But, you know, it's that type of thing, mm-hmm. like, very onion-like. Uh, another one was, veterinarian is nostalgic for days of Frenchies with only two to three debilitating <laughs> health conditions. <laughs> Thank you, breeders. Like, instead of the 17 that they have now. I know, right? Oh, okay, so this is one that's, like, ouch, like, mm-hmm. too soon, you know? <laughs> conference wellness panel discusses the best strategies for leaving clinical practice (laughs) oh boy okay all right and then i'll just read one more um uh owner calls because dog is vomiting got into garbage wonders if it might be related to surgery you did three weeks ago Um, no anyway (laughs) sometimes they do just headlines that are funny and sometimes they go ahead and write a whole fake news article like it's like as if they're a reporter reporting on these stories or whatever it's so funny oh my god okay so everybody should check out the cage liner if you haven't yes it's funny already it is a great stress buster okay Well, before we sign off on our episode today, I did just want to remind everyone about the free AVMA QPR training. We mentioned this in at least one other episode, but I think it's important for us to just remind everybody. So the AVMA is offering this QPR training for suicide prevention for all veterinary staff. That means everybody from vets to office managers to assistants to kennel staff to technicians. Like if you work at a veterinary hospital in any capacity, you can go to the AVMA website and take this training for free. And so I really strongly encourage everyone to do that uh, if you have not already. Mm -hmm. All right. So as far as our episode today goes, uh, we will post the sources of all of the information we presented on social media and also in the episode notes for the podcast. Yes. Before we sign off, we'd like everyone to know that we've created a listener poll. We've created the poll to help us understand our audience better and to bring you the best content possible. If you wouldn't mind filling out the poll, we would really appreciate it. And you'll find the links to the poll on our social media accounts. If you have stories, questions, 
or anything you'd like Forrest to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.